Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Code studio, we are joined by Basma Bushnak. Basma is the co-founder and CEO of MCAN Education, an educational consultancy based in Jeddah. A master's degree holder, Basma has over 10 years experience in the educational space. But above all, Basma is a proud mother of her 14-year-old son. I believe that I wanted to work in something I enjoy. I just don't want to go to a job every day from 9 to 5 and and not feel that I'm really passionate about it. I think every mistake we made really taught us a lot mm-hmm. and we were meant to make that mistake for us to improve and become better at what mm-hmm. we do. Why do I see myself able to deal, for example, with a conflict at work with maybe some colleagues or members? Because I believe that I look at it from a motherly mm-hmm. <laughs> perspective. It's always a choice and I believe in your career sometimes there is no right and wrong mm-hmm. and it's really different for every person. The new vision of Saudi Arabia is looking at females just as they're looking as the male citizens. You know, they can provide, they can achieve and definitely they can help build the country. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Basma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited for this conversation. We have so much to get through. And I know before we know it, the time's going to be up and we're going to say we have so much more to discuss. Um, But, you know, 10 years in the education sector, how did that all begin? You yourself were in education. Can we start there? Do you think that's a good place to start? Sure. So it all began when I was in high school, last year of high school, and I was just fed up with the you know curriculum we were studying it was the national curriculum back in 2001 and one day I just stood up in class and I took this oath in front of all of my friends my classmates and told them you know what one day I will become the minister of education and I will change this system and I think it's just from that day I got this passion about education I want to learn more about it I want to learn how to improve it everything related to it you know teachers students parents uh, the curriculums and it just started from there and continued up until now and tell me what was it that you were fed up with Were it was there certain things that had happened that you just feel like you deserved better as someone wanting wanting an education? No, it was in terms of the type of curriculum or content that we were studying. You were talking like 25 mm-hmm. years ago, you know, and actually the Saudi curriculum has been really been through a transformation since then, of course. Mm-hmm. So it was really focusing on content, memorization, you know, not much thinking or higher order thinking or critical thinking. So we felt that we wanted more, you know, mm-hmm. not just to memorize some information and put it on a piece of paper in the end of the year. And definitely this is what's happening now. And I'm so, so proud of what has been accomplished in the Saudi education system, mm-hmm. whether in private or public education. So definitely there were a lot of changes there. And so, okay, you were at school. Yeah. And what did you then go on to study? What did you uh, specialize in? I studied in actually special education, which is a, a education of students with special needs. But I was specializing in the gifted and talented students. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That was a very wow. interesting uh, major Tell me more me. about that. What, what does that exactly mean? Sure. So first of all, as you know, every student is different. No two students are the same, whether they are, let's say, mainstream students or below average or maybe above average. So in education, you have to modify the education, you know, instruction, curriculum, and all of the activities that they're going through, depending on their learning level. So I was studying those students who are high achievers, who are gifted and talented, depending on their academic skills or their IQ and their also abilities. So it was very interesting for me. Back then in Saudi, it was a new field. There were a 
couple of government and non-government entities that were trying to cater for those students. And I was very happy that I was, you know, studying that special group of students mm. that were still people are trying to understand. And I love that the system was adjusting. Was there a, was yes. there a demand from society and the community? Definitely, definitely. Because all of the schools noticed that, you know, there are these students who don't have special needs, but they are different. They can't just be in a normal classroom. You need to give them more. So basically, this is what we studied, how to give them more. Is it more content, more support, maybe more extracurricular? So of course, there are so many different mm. uh, types. Mm. I would love to know, I mean, you are a role model to so many Thank now. You. you have done and transformed so many things over over your career and your years. But who was your role model growing up? Did you have someone, maybe in your field, maybe not even close to your industry? Yeah, that's a very important question. And you always think about, you know, what was this person's role model? But to me, like, I believe in every part of my life, there was a different role model. But definitely the person who got me into thinking of improving education and also combining that with business is my father. He is also very passionate about about education, about social development in general. And also he started his own business, although it was in a different sector. But uh, but still, I think this was an inspiration for me. Back in like, also we're talking maybe 20 years ago in Saudi, you either get a government job or become a teacher or a doctor, something very specific. But not many females were getting into actually business or are encouraged to start their own business because they thought it was, you know, difficult and challenging. And it's, it's true. So I believe that he gave me that push, you know, that no, you should just stick to a job Mm. Uh, you should go behind your passion and and be an entrepreneur and start your own business was there a lot of people in society and community who didn't understand it either I mean you it was great that you had the support of your dad but you know some of us do get highly influenced by by the community around us as well true definitely they just saw and oh you know you're um you're coming from a certain maybe group in society and you know you don't need the money so or maybe you just got money from your father Mm -hmm. and you just want to you know waste your time but I think we proved otherwise definitely not just me and other there are a lot of female founders from my generation also who proved that we wanted to create a difference we wanted to provide our society with a service that was not there Mm -hmm. and that was also needed and of course we're talking Saudi 10-15 years ago now things are really really different and I'm happy for that they are I mean the opportunities now are absolutely endless when that period of transition happened for opportunities for all but more specifically for young female how was that specifically for the education sector? Well, of course, there is now more, let's say, uh, options mm-hmm. for females in schools and universities, after universities, of things that they can do, of the majors they can study, the field that they can work at. There are no restrictions. For example, some of the universities were restricted to males, such as uh, KFUPM. It's one of the biggest and best universities in Saudi that was focusing on petroleum studies, mm-hmm. everything related to petroleum engineering and, and that. So now females can study that. So this is like one big example of how now the new vision of of Saudi Arabia is looking uh, at females as, you know, just as they're looking as the male citizens, you know, they can provide, they can achieve and definitely they can help build the country. And so you coming out of your degree, what were the opportunities there for you? Did you have a clear vision on what you wanted to do? Because I know for me, I came out of university, had no idea who I was, (laughs) what I wanted to do. What was that for you like? Yeah, even for me, like, okay, I got this degree in education 
education. I knew I wanted to continue my graduate studies, so I applied for a scholarship and I went on a, to study master's in the UK. I also uh, majored in curriculum and assessment and also gifted, talented students. But after that, I was like, okay, now what? I can go get a job in the government, but I didn't want that. I felt that I wanted to explore my options. So I decided that, you know what, I'll go and try different fields. So I went and tried a job in a private sector. It was a small clinic that did assessments for students with disabilities and students with high IQ for a while. And then I moved to another semi-government entity that was more specific, dealt with gifted students. So I think I, I allowed myself to try Mm-hmm. a couple of jobs mm-hmm. and after every job or every opportunity I got I learned something more about myself mm-hmm. of who I want to be and who do I want to be with and who do I want to work with and and really I believe that I wanted to work in something I enjoy mm-hmm. I just don't want to go to a job every day from nine to five and and not feel that I'm really passionate about it so and I think every opportunity led me to where I am today and that's when I decided to to start MCAM. You said you studied in the UK yes. was that for one year two years? One and a half year almost yeah for my master's. How, how pivotal do you think it was for you to go and study internationally and abroad into doing what you do today? Oh definitely it was it was an eye-opener I think it was great for me back then coming out from the Saudi you know society being there you know in a private school a private university all my life and then going out to the UK public university people from all over the world you really have to prove yourself you see people with different experiences and you just try to you know understand that and and evaluate yourself where do you fall in all of this of course it was really a challenging experience especially you know with the research finding the right topic trying to explain your ideas you know I'm not a native speaker my English is okay but still I was really uh at the same level compared to other native speakers. So it really taught me that, you know what, it's how good you work. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, if you're a Saudi or an Arab or an African, but really how good you, you work and, and how really you can prove your opinions in education. This is what really matters. And I think what's beautiful is you had the mindset of diversifying your career. Right. I mean, you said you went from one job to another to try to soak up and learn as much as possible. How did you know when one job was done and you were ready to move on to the next? Yeah, I think when it hit me that there is a routine that every day I'm doing the same thing and there is no learning. Another also important uh, alert was for me was the environment. You know, if they did not appreciate me, if they did not make me feel that I was making a difference, then for me, it was time to go, definitely. And these personal relations are so important. Of no matter course. where you stand in the business, I understand that there's a hierarchy and there's, yeah. you know, a, an order, but that value, that feeling valued, for those listening who don't feel valued, what would you suggest to them? Or how did you get through it? Yeah, I, I believe that there's always communication is the key. You should never make assumptions, you know. Maybe you have a challenging boss, maybe you have a challenging colleague, maybe you feel that the field that you're in or the company has maybe limited resources so go and ask you know Mm. ask someone talk to someone trying to understand what's really behind the scenes because there are so many information that maybe the employees don't know about the company or the owners or the founders on the board so I believe this is the first thing and then definitely it's it's always a choice and I believe in your career sometimes there is no right and wrong and Mm -hmm. it's really different for every person so I believe that if you felt that yes I can still be in this place and give more, even with the challenges, then yes, give yourself that chance. But I always believe that there is a point in everyone's career when you feel that, you know what, it's time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just know it, you know, mm-hmm. something inside of you. And you got to listen to yeah, it, listen definitely. to that voice. So you made a huge leap into entrepreneurship. Yeah. You were working for other people and then you make that transition 
that's so scary. Uh, <laughs> so many challenges ahead of you. Uh, what was that voice telling you at that time? It was telling me, you know what, Basma, it's time to start things or do things your own way. And when you see so many issues or problems that around you, you know, in the society or in the community that are not being solved and nobody is doing anything to solve them. And you believe that, you know what, with what you have of ideas or knowledge or experience, that maybe you can help solve this problem. And really, this is why we, me and my, my co-founder started uh, Imkan, mm-hmm. is to solve part of the education problems that we saw back then. And I'm glad we did. And so I imagine for that, you really had to be in touch with community. Of course. How did that begin then? Because that really is the foundation of what right. you guys do. Yeah, I think what really helped me is the, the previous job that I was in before starting Imkan was really, I was supervising a group of schools in the Western region in Saudi. And I was in direct contact with them. So I knew the school principals, the parents, the students, the teachers. And this really gave me an understanding of what is really happening on the ground, you know, Mm -hmm. and not from a policymaking perspective, but really from the bottom up. So I think this really helped me. And then when we started the company, so, oh, they know Basma. So Basma is a person in our, you know, community. We Mm -hmm. trust her. We worked with her a couple of years. We saw what she did. So, yes, you know, let's see what she can offer us now, even if she's not under any, you know, government or private umbrella. It's her new brand. So I think this really gave us a push. And what really stands out to me in that story is no matter where you are in your career, how important it is to keep your connections. Very important. And be good to the people that you work with. Never burn bridges. Exactly. (laughs) It will come round full circle. Five years later 10 years later and they they wanted to work with you and you had a good reputation how important was that reputation to you oh it was very important and I was really blessed that I had very good relationships in all the places I worked with and education is very like a small sector in Saudi everyone knows everyone so I, I think that really helped me keeping those relationships keeping the friendships you know the connection so like even when I started the company I could just pick up the phone on some school principal or some you know supervisor in, in, in the ministry or any other entity and they would be happy to help because mm. they worked with me before so they, there is this trust mm-hmm. and I think this was very important especially in education. Now being a woman you've just launched your business yeah. there's enough challenges being an entrepreneur but now being a young female entrepreneur any standout moments that you can share with us any challenges you came across in that initial period? Yeah, there's so many it was funny for example in Saudi and we were also talking 10 years ago mm-hmm. a lot of the female founders used to hire a male to do the government work for them so you know getting the licenses out the paper stuff and it's really hectic and it's a headache and Mm. it takes a lot of time and effort but I refused to do that we were three co-founders but I was the manager so I insisted on doing everything myself so I had to go to every government entity and actually, you know, apply for the license, uh, sign the papers, uh, stand in lines for long hours just to, you know, get that government paper approved or stamped or whatever. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, you know, you need the things I saw, the places I've been to, the people I've dealt with. But really, it taught me exactly what I needed back then when I started my business. So even when I got actually someone to do it for me, I know. If really he's taking a shortcut, if he's just, you know, bluffing and not giving me what I want, because I've been through the process. So this was, I think, a good learning for me. Being a female back then in Saudi, going to these government entities, you know, some of them did not have any female branches, for example. I had to go in the male branch. And of mm-hmm. course, they were surprised to see a female coming. 
And they would always ask me, like, where is your agent? So this, you know, guy, I'm like, mm. I don't have an agent. I'm coming myself. I'm the co-founder. And they would just be surprised. Like, why? You know, hire mm. someone to do it for you. I believe this was also interesting for us. But it was also great to see the leap that happened, you know, from back then until now. And now that any government entity I can walk into, no one would be surprised. Everyone would be willing to help. And of course, the e-government services that we have also made it better. So this is just, I remember, one of the main issues or challenges that we had in the beginning. How tough were you on yourself, especially at that beginning period? Yeah. You know, you've launched this, you want it to work, of course, by all means, you know, whatever's behind it, your blood, sweat, your tears, yes. your your finances. True. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself at the beginning? Oh, yes, of course, of course, because... I was trying to fit to my own standards, which mm-hmm. were very high. I didn't want to start a company and fail at it. You know, what would I think about myself? What would my family think? What would my son think? So it was very, very challenging. And we all also had our reputation to keep. So we didn't want to start something and then people think that, oh, we gave up or we quit. Mm-hmm. So definitely there was this challenge. And we wanted to do everything in the best way possible without also breaking the bank. We had a budget. Mm-hmm. We were bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. We never got any investment or any support from outside. So that was also another extra financial pressure. So every decision we made in the beginning really was calculated in a way that, of course, are we breaking the budget? Are we doing the right thing? Is it the right decision? But I believe that what we have, me and my partners, as trust relationship, we were all aligned on the values and what we really want to achieve. This really helped a lot Mm. in overcoming this pressure that we were all having on ourselves. Mm. And luckily, we had it in different times. So if one of my co-founders saying, oh, I feel down, you know, we're not doing well, we're failing. You know, the other one say, no, don't worry, we're doing well, we're trying our best. Mm. You know, let's enjoy the ride. And I think these messages that we were giving to ourselves really helped us go on Mm, and that's why team is just so important the people that you have around you I believe everything happens for a reason I'm sure you'll you'll agree with me but do you ever look back at that beginning period and think ah if I could go back I would do this differently is there anything that you would do yeah definitely definitely maybe some business uh, related decisions such as for example we did not hire an accountant a full-time accountant until third or fourth year of the business. That was a big mistake. Mm. We kept track of our accounting, but in a very messed up way. (laughs) (laughs) For three ladies coming from education and not a business or a finance background or accounting, that was a challenge. We did well, thank God. No like major losses, but definitely I would have had someone from the beginning, you know, help us with that. Also maybe uh, marketing, like Mm -hmm. we've always put marketing on the side, like, oh, let's not spend money on marketing. But now looking back, I realized that, yes, no, we should have had maybe at least put a budget for that on the side just to push us, you know, at some times. Other than that, I I think every mistake we made really taught us a lot. Mm -hmm. And we were meant to make that mistake for us to improve and and become better at what Mm -hmm. we do. And we've spoken about the pressure that you had starting off as an entrepreneur, making that transition into having your own business. And now as a leader, does the pressure get to you more now? Like, do you look back and think, oh, Starting the business was way easier than maintaining what it is now. Of course, absolutely. Mm. I think with every position you are in, there are, of course, its own set of challenges. But now definitely there is this responsibility of, you know, I have 30 people under me, you know, who are paying their bills because of the work that we're doing. And I have to keep it running. Definitely, this is a lot of pressure to meet their expectation, to support them, to be there for them, I guess, and to be like the captain of the ship. I'm lucky that I'm not the captain alone. I have two other captains with me, Mm -hmm. and this is definitely a blessing because being 
on the top or being a leader is very lonely sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm blessed that I can share that with them. But of course, as a CEO, I feel that this pressure now has increased definitely more than before, you know, with the volume of the business, with mm-hmm. the volume of the operations and the expectations and thinking strategically, you know, where are we going? What's the next best move? Uh, who should do, uh, I involve? I think all of these also create extra pressure. But to me, I take it as part of the package, you know. In every phase of the business, there was different challenges. Mm-hmm. But now I'm definitely I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for the where I am right now. But I feel that there can be more improvement, but I'm taking it just day by day. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's the way to do it because there's no guidebook or rulebook here. You're figuring it out on the job, really. Exactly. Now, let's talk about professionally you were soaring. Personally, were you looking after yourself? Well, that's uh, the million dollar question. <laughs> I think all females, especially, you know, when they have different roles, like they're being mothers, wives, uh, they have social responsibilities and they have a job or maybe they have a business. Thank God we're multitaskers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely sometimes one of these roles will be affected by the others. Mm-hmm. I was lucky that I had the chance to get married and start my family before the business. So when I started Imkan, at least my son was a bit older. I was in a phase of my life where I can put this time and energy into the business but I don't think many females now have that option especially with the pressure that you know I didn't hit 30 and I need to you know start my career and make my own money and become independent and still get married and have kids I think my generation had the privilege of you know what the pressure of getting married and having kids first Mm -hmm. or starting the family so now I see the younger females having more pressure but back to me I believe that That was the pressure. But as you said, managing that, the pressure that came after. In the beginning, you believe that you can just give and give nonstop. So we were working seven days a week. And then suddenly, like into the second year of the business, we all said, no, we can't do that anymore. Mm. We have to start taking vacations. We need to start, you know, taking at least one day off a Mm -hmm. week. And that's when I think I decided that I need to take care of myself. So definitely a lot of, you know, yoga, meditation, therapy, big believer in therapy, coaching. Mm -hmm. So any female who is in that position, whether it's leadership or even any job, and she has other responsibilities, I highly recommend that she seeks help. Mm -hmm. She seeks help. She seeks advice, you know, because sometimes we believe that we can do it all. We're superwoman. And then suddenly you collapse Mm -hmm. and you don't know why you even collapsed. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be a very small trigger. So I believe this is really something that we need to take care of ourselves as you said absolutely and you know even if it's uh, if professionally you don't want to seek it I think it's important to have the right people yes, around you you know definitely. your close friends you said you had your great co-founders as well but did you have that support family friends a strong female or male structure I think is important especially when you're when you're starting a business of course of course yeah definitely I was lucky to have that you know other my than my parents I had my friends who were also maybe in similar positions and I had also people from outside this who I can you know talk to and they would give me an objective advice but they always like I read a lot as a podcast mm. go on workshops look for professional development programs where I can you know put myself outside the situation and look at it from a different perspective and always taking breaks and vacations that's that Very always important. fixes fixes things <laughs> it yeah. resets you recharges I think exactly and um, now you becoming a mother how did that change your perspective on becoming a leader I know oh. being a mother is life-changing True. but then how did it change you uh, professionally I always relate that I always say like because we are mothers like me and and my co-founders I think we had more capacity 
more patience, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I see that in mothers. They really have patience to deal with people, you know, with the challenges. And now really every time I think of why do I see myself able to deal, for example, with a conflict at work with maybe some colleagues or members, because... I believe that I look at it from a motherly mm-hmm. <laughs> perspective. Maybe some males would not actually do that. But as, as you said, becoming mothers, we can't really distinct ourselves from, from that role. And for me, I, I believe it was a blessing that mm-hmm. I was already a mother before starting MCAN. So it gave me that capacity mm-hmm. to accept and to understand and be more patient and, and think of, of things differently and see it in a different way. Mm. And how important is it for you, for your son, to see you leading your own yeah. career? Is that something that you consciously thought about before you had a child? No, to be honest, mm-hmm. I never. When I had my son, you know, I was just focusing on just being a mother and, and enjoying that. And I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never had that pressure back then. But now I see it, as I said, in other females. But I believe now I'm giving him a role model, you know, showing him that, you know, what you can start your own business, of course, or any female can have her own business. And she can also have, you know, a good relationship with her family and her social responsibilities, which is not easy, of course, mm-hmm. but it's doable. And I think it's also important for him to to understand females more, you know, and, and appreciate the value and importance of work. And of course, balancing that with family and with other social responsibilities. Mm, absolutely. I completely agree. Now, I'd love to uh, dive into MCAN a bit more, if that's okay with you. Yeah, uh, you've led so many education educational development projects uh, in the public and non-profit sectors with MCAN. How do you think the educational industry, I mean, you touched on it a bit earlier, if we could go deeper, how has the educational industry really transformed from when you first started? That's a very good question. As I said, uh, first of all, the the education system itself, you know, the curriculums, the way the schoolings are formed, the ability to accept more diversity in the student body and the different curriculums and the different types of schooling. That's one thing. The second thing was as looking at the the groups that were not getting enough attention from the public or the mainstream education, which, as as I mentioned before, the students with special needs, whether the disabled or the gifted, continuing education, looking at education, not just stopping after university, but continuing after that and providing these opportunities for different abilities and interests to be included in education. Uh, I believe also Saudi in the past, uh, actually, five years uh, and also building towards Vision 2030 has included many areas they're seeing now that education is not just the ministry of education's responsibility you know Mm -hmm. it's all of the society's responsibility Mm -hmm. and that's why we work with a lot of non-government entities who want to have education initiatives whether it's k-12 or university or or after that so i believe that now there is much more awareness of how education is important and how education really is related to every household and every career decision the future of the country and really what i'm seeing today is is really giving me hope giving me better expectations of the future and how we really can improve the future for for the younger generation mm-hmm. uh, and it's also i think ever uh, evolving and improving uh, the good thing about saudi is we like to learn from others so we always do our, the you know international benchmarking we learn from other experiences and I think this also helped in contextualizing that experience. You know, does it fit to the Saudi setting or the Saudi context? What do we need to change about it? And this is where the role of the, let's say, the educational 
consultants come in. And mm-hmm. this is why Imkan role is very important because we understand the society. We understand this context. We understand our tradition, our culture. And we want to make sure that any educational initiative or program that takes place is really fits, you know, into that context uh, for it to be successful. And we all just went through a, a massive change through the pandemic. No True. matter what, every industry was hit from every angle. Education, we saw a huge, tra- huge transformation. You had kids on iPads and laptops at home learning that way. What good do you think has come out of that period of time? Well, I think the good thing is resilience. Mm. Resilience of the schools, of the parents, of the teachers, of the students themselves, you know. I remember personally my son, you know, in the beginning, he was depressed, like clinically crying every day and he was also older and he wasn't like very young so I can't imagine the younger kids how they reacted but definitely when he was supported or when we used to have these long talks you know giving him breaks trying to comfort him and telling him you know it's just a phase it will finish you will go back to school this is not the end of the world Mm. you know I saw how he really built that resilience in him and how he when school came back he was very eager you know and he appreciates school now definitely more than ever, just like all the other students probably around the world. So I believe resilience was definitely a good thing that came out of it. Another thing that we saw from our own experience um, in, in Imkan and dealing with school is that now schools, teachers and parents also included, doesn't look at technology as a luxury. Mm-hmm. They look at it as a necessity. And not just, you know, to have a class on Zoom or, you know, use a PowerPoint presentation. No, it's just more than that. How to really utilize technology in the best way. How to be ready to use technology when, you know, things go wrong or there is any incidents or emergencies that cannot really help us in providing education in the normal or setting. So I think this also uh, happened that was really any, let's say, a positive thing Mm. with schools, uh, their budgets, and also with the teachers, for sure. Now, as MCAN, as the bridge between, you know, the educational system and the community, one thing that I think, especially out of the pandemic has come, is the stress on mental health. I mean, we touched on it earlier with your your son as well. Thank you for sharing that, because I think that that's so important, you know. It wasn't necessarily taboo in society, but it just wasn't spoken about enough. And now more conversations are happening. Is that a topic that is uh, at the forefront uh, of MCAN's mind and, and, you know, in working with both sides to bring together? Of course, of course. We always make sure that in any initiative that we're designing or planning or executing, like how will that affect how would that affect the parents? How would that affect the students, you know, and the teachers also? And also another important thing is that you, as you said, when you talk about it, when you uh, acknowledge it, when you make it part of the normal, you know, life of people that, you know, it's okay that you could get frustrated sometimes, mm-hmm. especially in education. And this is what to always, you know, tell our clients or even teachers or parents, it's normal, you know, education is challenging. It has a lot of, of uh, ups and downs. You're dealing with humans. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not the easiest mm-hmm. thing. Just like Doctors, But also for us in MCAN, we try to embody that by giving part of our professional development budget for our um, employees or team members for uh, therapy and coaching. And this is something actually we did. We started last year after the pandemic because we felt that, you know what, we want to encourage them to take care of themselves. Mm. And we want to, you know, let them feel that, you know what, this is part of supporting you so that you can give your best Mm -hmm. to the company. And I believe that they really appreciate that from from what we saw since they feel that you know this is not just a company who wants me to go and get you know a course or a workshop or attend a conference but it really 
helps me take care of myself. Mm. And this is also part of professional development, you know. So I think we're very proud of what we did with this decision. Mm. And I hope that other companies can do the same. Absolutely. It's kind of like meshing personal and professional. I don't think there's a difference. I actually think it's all merged together in a healthy or unhealthy way at times. So what do you hope for in the future for your sector? So much has transformed in Saudi, which we've spoken about already in the episode. But what are you hoping for? Well, I'm hoping that there should be more companies like Imkan, you know, Saudi companies that are providing experts, local experts in education who can provide high quality services uh, in different sectors, you know, for schools, for universities, for the public and private entities. And then we will normalize that education should be high quality service. Unfortunately, there were some challenges, let's say, and Saudi Arabia now is going through these changes where it wants to improve the performance of the students, the schools, universities, not just locally or regionally, but also worldwide. We're mm-hmm. competing, you know, on, on international uh, basis in different levels. And then really, this is what I hope to see, that we can support the country's vision in accomplishing that and be able to compete really with the rest of the world. Mm. Are you going to diversify more? I mean, you're already doing MCAN. Is there any other businesses that you have in mind of launching? Oh, so many ideas, <laughs> <laughs> but not enough time. <laughs> well, hopefully there's a lot of things we can do. Like, uh, I think there is a, still a big gap in in, um, in the market in terms of education, especially in early childhood education, in career services, for example. We're already supporting some students because we are um, associated with Cambridge International Examination. So we also are into that business in a way. But definitely there is many more ideas. Hopefully we can get to talk to, about them in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. I think season two, we'll have definitely. to get you, we'll have to get you. <laughs> On back on Basma. We are so grateful for you sharing your story and and your journey so far. A piece of advice, I think what what stood out for me the most is your service for community and the people around you, which is commendable, absolutely. Any advice that you may have for people, no matter what industry, who are looking to make that transition into entrepreneurship? Definitely. I would tell them to start or look for the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, look for a problem that maybe you faced, maybe some of your family members faced. When you really live the problem and you feel it, then you can definitely be more innovative in finding the solution. And this mm-hmm. solution could be a service, could be an app, could be a platform, it could be anything. But definitely it has to solve a pain point in mm-hmm. society. I think this is it. And of course, find your right uh, market fit. Mm-hmm. You know, is this a service or a product that your society can benefit from? Is it something that maybe came ahead of its time many of the good ideas come early on you know Mm -hmm. the other advice is definitely find the right team Mm. you know uh, as I said I was blessed with my my co-founders and the Imkan team and I believe really partnership is like a marriage Mm -hmm. so you really have to choose your partner as well Mm -hmm. because they really they either make or break the journey that Mm -hmm. comes afterward uh, and other than that, just be as I said, be yourself, be original, bring your originality into the business, you mm-hmm. know, even if you're introvert, even if you're not uh, maybe a very um, outspoken person or maybe if you don't like to be in the spotlights mm-hmm. and bring that into into the, the role uh, vulnerability, uh, as you said, being human, mm-hmm. showing 
emotions, being transparent. I think all of this really builds the character of the leadership, uh, the leader, and gives him or her that unique identity and unique leadership style. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank I've learned you. so much from you today, and thank you once again for sharing your journey on the Heron Code podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank it was you. A pleasure. Thanks. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.